We're here for you. We stand firm and unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Welcome to the Truth to Power Show and Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. Uh, and with us today is uh, co-host Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. What's up, VJ? How are you? Hey, good, good. So it's our first day back after a little bit of a break yeah. uh, in 2022 or in 2022 now. That's right. Should be interesting uh, feeling, year. Feeling refreshed or feeling, feeling, how are you feeling about 2022? Yeah, feeling good, feeling good. I feel like like a lot of the um, stuff I see in the internet feels like it's going to be replay, but I feel confident that this year is going to be emergence and emergence i hope uh, i'm optimistic yeah yeah <laughs> I, I saw a post today that they want to start it in, in february 1st january was a little rocky so yeah, yeah. As, as does the chinese new year uh february 1st as opposed to january 1st exactly exactly um, so we have a special guest today uh kate koenig who is a very hungry experimental folk caterpillar <laughs> that eats flavor of fox's progressivism and kate bush's iconoclasticism and Jeff Buckley's zeal and Leonard Cohen's uh, disenchantment and still eating while you read this bio. She's a fierce advocate for mental health awareness, which comes out of a deep, personal, introspective theater of her music. Based in Brooklyn, she's played uh, at uh, NYC's Bowery Ballroom, Pete's Candy Store, Pianos, Niagara, and under St. Mark's Theater. In June of 2019, she released her debut album, Haircuts for Barbers. And in January 31st, 2021, she released her sophomore album, um, Ete men, ete men naki, naki? Ete menanki. Ete menanki, okay. Uh, both of which can be found on our stream platforms. Tell us a little bit about that second album. What is the title and uh, tell us what was that? Yeah, so Ete menanki, apparently since I released it, people have, some people have said, oh, I know the Anananki, and I'm like, I don't, but. Yeah. Um, and Ete menanki, the Ete menanki is a Babylonian ziggurat or temple that was um, built and dedicated to the head of their pantheon, Marduk, um, and was built to try to reach the heavens and is the uh, the inspiration behind the Tower of Babel story. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting, interesting. So the Tower of Babel being like the languages, like kind of dispersal, like that's kind of the story, like how there's one language and they're kind of dispersed into many languages, right? Um. I all I know about it is that like as they get closer to the heavens, like all of a sudden they can't, like it, their language turns to total nonsense. Yeah, okay, that's yeah, what I know yeah, about it. But yeah. I don't. Yeah, something like that. I'm basically, sure. basically, yeah, it's the one language that then, then it became like nonsense and spread across into many languages. I think something along those lines. So, but what was the connection you had with it? What was the personal connection you had with it? Um, a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I. I had a second album in the works and then when the pandemic happened, but only like maybe half, like 60% of one. And then when the lockdown happened in March of 2020, um, I found all this like pent up inspiration and I just kind of wrote a new album in like a month or like two weeks. I said Uh. originally in that press release, I I suppose I like finalized everything in like two weeks and, and then I spent the next few months recording it. But it was like an interruption of like the flow I had going. Mm. And then all of a sudden it just all came out. And then um, this one song on the album was inspired by exploring Wikipedia and discovered, discovering the Etimanaki and all that stuff. So Nice, nice. And tell us, just reveal a little bit of some of your themes or some ideas that are recurring in your music or some of the kind of general concerns you have as an artist. And then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
recurring themes in my music is probably like mental health or mental illness kind of or just like mm. living yeah just like mental health really um you know a lot of my songs are written in response to my own anxieties and you know depression or suicidal ideation or living with bipolar um like all of these things like are usually inf influential on in the way i make music or on what a lot of my songs are about you know and what was the other part of that question? And yeah, generally speaking, like how you connect with it and what you think about. It. But we can just continue from there. That gives you a sense of yeah, uh, yeah. the themes, and maybe images that come up or uh, something like that. So you mentioned about the mythology, uh, some of the mythologies, maybe some of the interest of yours or archetypal images. Because right now I'm, I'm actually doing a master's in mental counseling and l focusing on transpersonal mindfulness-based counseling. So one of the aspects of transpersonal is the idea that we're collected, we're connected to the, you know, from the Carl Jung idea that we're connected to the collective unconscious and hmm. we're connected to the whole of humanity. So um, the transpersonal is kind of part of that. So just connecting uh, your struggles with or our struggles with um, kind of the mythologies and the, and the around them, you know, kind of something, something like that might be an interest. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm not sure if there's that sort of thing. I am thinking, though, of like certain images that come up a lot. Like one is um, seeing a reflection of yourself and other people, mm. you know, like projecting your own. Like I have this one line in one of my songs where it says, turning me into a mirror so you can tell yourself the truth. Um, and it's like there's a recurring theme of just like projecting onto other people and like seeing yourself as a reflection back or whatever or. Mm. finding meaning in your the reflection of you in someone else's eyes or something like that um that's one of the recurring images i have and then um uh oh yeah and then just like obsession like just being fixated like hyper fixations on like other people um romantic obsessions like that sort of thing mm. it's a big theme great um, want to, would love to talk a little bit more about that, but let's hear a little bit about kind of your entrance um, into the world of music. I know you're a pretty eclectic artist with with a lot of different interests in, in music, comedy, uh, art as well. Uh, what was kind of the entryway into into music as a way of expressing um, kind of the things you're experiencing in mental health as well as uh, yeah. As art forms? Um, you mean like from the beginning, the very beginning? Yeah, let's go early first. To start <laughs> if we can um, in the beginning. So my earliest musical memories are from when I was maybe four and uh, my dad used to blast Frank Zappa around the house <laughs> and <laughs> and I used to, um, and the Beatles and all that classic dad rock and <laughs> prog dad, weird dad rocks territory and um, I think the first songs that I like memorized, either some or all of the lyrics to were uh, Act Naturally which is written by Ringo and uh, let's make the water turn black by Zappa. Um, and I could recite a lot of those lyrics when I was like four. Uh -huh. And then by the age of eight, I was like teaching myself how to play piano on our piano that we had in our house. And uh, 14, I started taking classical piano lessons through high school. I did trumpet from the age of 10. Um, I went to college for music and I did guitar, piano, drums and trumpet. And, um, and then you know, into my, like, 20s, uh, it wasn't until I was 25 that I started taking my songwriting seriously, and and it was, it took me until, like, my mid-20s to really recognize and 
accept myself as a guitarist, which is what I always wanted to be. But I, oops, my phone is on. Um, I had kind of like sectioned myself off as a keyboardist because of like a in like internalized misogyny thing where I just felt and actually I'm non-binary but you know being raised and treated as a woman like um you know I, I believed that I wasn't adequate enough to be a guitarist so that took me a while accepting myself as a songwriter took a while um and then finally when I did start writing songs a lot of it was just to soothe my own anxiety does that answer your question yeah yeah okay yeah and also with musicians I feel like there's a theme of like you know understanding the craft and, and like slowly progressing and, and a lot a lot of the musicians come on to say they're kind of dismantling perfectionism and something about your experience of that and kind of the experimentation that's necessary in music of course and how that where that's brought you uh you had many different influences so experimentation you said about you know kind of your, your relationship with failure is something that that uh and success and how you kind of define success something that yeah yeah explore yeah Failure is success. Yeah. You know, like I try to teach my students, I'm a music teacher, and um, I try to teach my students that, you know, failing, if you can't fail, you can't know how to succeed. Like failure is necessary. I think, I think everybody knows that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, to answer like the beginning of that idea, um, you know, uh, before, I started taking myself seriously as a songwriter. I was constantly researching like other artist interviews and trying to see if somebody expressed what was going on in my head, mm. which was like dealing with depression and not understanding that I was depressed and thinking that, you know, I was just an asshole or a terrible person. I don't know if we can curse at all. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, just, I thought, just thought I was, you know, a piece of garbage. And it was all my fault that I thought the things I did about myself and like acted the way I did and could never like finish things or accomplish things or like was so self-loathing and self-sabotaging and all these things. I just blamed it all on myself because I didn't recognize that I was actually just depressed. Um, and so I kept trying to like find therapy through other artists words and and have somebody tell me like no it's fine you're normal it's not your fault mm. through reading interviews of other people talking about like those feelings in some in some way and um and then finally and I, I collected a lot of it but a lot of people are in interviews are just like yeah I feel bad sometimes but then I get over it and it's like fine <laughs> you know and I'm like Ugh, you know and then and then finally when I was 25 um on March 17th 2016 <laughs> I was researching to, to write a story about 21 pilots because I'm also a music journalist and um, I came across this interview that the kid Tyler Joseph from 21 Pilots, and I didn't double check his name. I'm pretty sure his name is Tyler Joseph. Um, he deals with like some serious depression and he's very open about it. And he was like in some interview with some random Dutch whatever radio show or something like that. And um, he just was like getting so deep and I just felt so seen. And I was like, oh, my God, they have like a number two hit on the charts and they're writing this like awesome like pop music and it's like interesting and they're just they just are doing it that means that i could do it too it was almost like like having a disability and like being validated like mm. you know someone else with the same like quote unquote quote unquote disability i don't actually think of it that way necessarily but that's kind of what it felt like you know um yeah yeah and then um you mentioned a little bit about uh like you know, in your process about kind of you know, we're, we're, you know, we're talking a little bit about how, um, clown school 
And you mentioned a little bit about that and how that kind of feeds into your process. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why? Yeah. What made you seek that out? Was it kind of the inversion of depression or, or yeah, yeah. Cause I, I've taken some, I went to like a laughing club, I think during the pandemic, which I found was, was <laughs> quite therapeutic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, talk a little on that. Yeah. Clown school. Yeah. That was like one of the greatest experiences <laughs> of my life. And people somehow don't, sometimes don't know, imagine red nose clowning and that's not what yeah. it is it's theatrical clowning um and basically i just fell into this crowd of comedians mostly comedians and and artists and musicians um based out of the music inn which is where i met uh samantha who connected me to you guys um and uh and i started working there and they had this open mic and i met all these people and one person among them was ed malone who's this actor who's uh, been in the Irish Repertory Theater a lot and like probably has other impressive credits that I don't know all of them. But I started attending his clown school for three months and yeah, he'd just be like, okay, now Kate, like be Sylvester Stallone selling real estate. And I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, just, you just suck. Like you don't know what to do and you just come up with something on the spot and it ends up being really embarrassing and everyone's laughing at you. <laughs> and that's the class for three hours. Yeah. And so you just learn how to like fail and it's like the best lesson. It's, it's a muscle learning how to do that, you know? And it's like, it's the best lesson is to get comfortable with that. Cause you need to know, you need to know how to do that on stage, how to recover from it, bounce back. Right. So, so can you give an example of maybe, a time that came in handy in, in a later performance that, that you've had or where that came to mind. Um, it's kind of like, I guess, walking a tightrope, right? But falling, yeah, without the net sometimes. Um, uh, and yeah, do your performances now typically, do they, do you do banter, comedic banter in the beginning or kind of, you know, grounded, uh, you know, personal sharing, um, that sort of thing? I, I try to tie in some comedic commentary in part of my performance like my stage presence includes like trying to be funny and vulnerable mm -hmm. and i was actually just gonna say like knowing how to fail means like you know how to bomb right. as a comedian yeah, you know yeah. like as a comedian like i'm not a comedian i have tried stand up a couple of times and i produced my own comedy show and i would host and i've hosted open mics so i do know what it's like to kind of be on stage like presenting as a comedian and you have to know what to do and how to recover when a joke doesn't land or when a joke just bombs. You have to know you have to know what to do, how to keep going. If you let it get to you, it'll ruin the rest of your set. And if you're if you've practiced failing, you know how to just keep going. Um, and that helps me in my musical performances, because if I catch myself making mistakes, I'm just like, this is fine. Just go on to the next thing. Or if I'm like trying to like come up with some witty banter and it sounds stupid i'm just like whatever this is part of, part of my act yeah. is just failing and making mistakes and that's so freeing yeah yeah re relieve some of the pressure uh -huh. <laughs> um so and you mentioned earlier that yeah the the wikipedia rabbit hole and i'm always interested in you know how how you balance that uh you know a, a hungry artist like yourself of consumption and output when do you know when it's time to, all right, I'm going to generate material rather than um, listening mm. to this, I'm, I'm taking in this, I'm taking in that. Um, how, do, how do you find that balance for yourself? 
Yeah, I think like actually just off the top of my head, I would feel like creating art is like mostly consumption and then the output is like a much smaller percentage, right. you know, because it's like um, there was like this really it's kind of it's kind of lame, but it's something like I have mixed feelings about Amanda Palmer. Um, but she said something interesting in her book, The Art of Asking, and now I'm plugging her even though I have mixed <laughs> feelings about her. Um, <laughs> but she said something about like collecting the dots and then connecting them. Mm. And I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's fine to just read and listen and, you know, research and explore. And then all of a sudden, like you have a book full of little lines of ideas and then all of a sudden you have the motivation to put it all together. Right, right. I feel like that's a normal, acceptable process. I like that. And then you, after something is out, then it has it takes on a new life too that can extend for for a while. And then oftentimes that gets bogged down by the business aspects of it or marketing and that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, kind of then the creation period can be the most fulfilling. Um, can you talk? I you you we had talked earlier. You said you recently you know moved. Uh, can you talk a little bit about? creating um from a place where there's a lot of people around to kind of more uh in your own space and you know which you prefer like a kind of a collaborative atmosphere or kind of all right i'm gonna do most of the work on on my own yeah also i should real quick add that i have in my bio that i'm based in brooklyn i just moved to ridgewood (laughs) oh no now they're gonna know where to find me (laughs) um and uh, i also have played uh, the mercury lounge since and now i have an upcoming show on Wednesday, February 2nd at Rockwood Stage 2, 7 o'clock showtime, 6 oh. o'clock doors. Um, okay, so anyway, yeah. Um, I have always preferred to create alone, um, like almost like strictly. Mm. So like bringing in other people into my process scares me because I need to have total control. Like I feel like I'm unsafe if I don't have total control, even if it's just over like my art. Um Sometimes, you know, I feel unsafe if I'm not in my own, like, territory, if I'm not, like, at home. Like, sometimes, like, I was out having breakfast with my friend the other day, and it was, like, it was going on for longer than I had expected. And I was, like, I need to get home and just be at home. (laughs) Like, you know, like, I'm kind of like that. (laughs) Um, But when I first brought other people into my process um, on my first album, Haircuts for Barbers, that I released in 2019, um... I was very like meticulous. I was very, I was very particular over like I had the drummer like take out all the, like almost every fill he would introduce. I'd be like, take that out, change it. Like, don't do sixteenth notes. Do like <laughs> do dotted like something. You know, I'd come up with like every like little critique, and he was like really good and patient. And the bassist, I would be like, don't play the root. And then later, my friend was like, why is the bassist not playing the root? Sounds terrible. And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know. Um, but I was very like, and I fancied myself like someone like Frank Zappa or whatever, who's like, God, like this like dictator, like, you know, grasp on their band. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just like, you know, but it's like, it's, that's a process in itself is to get like more comfortable with just like, um, I just interviewed Marissa Paternoster of Screaming Females and uh, Flex, and um, it was a great, it was really oh, nice. Yeah, it nice. was a great interview. Um, and she said, you know, when you trust people to do good things, they're probably going to show up and do good things. Yeah. Like they're going to make good art. Like if you trust them to do, like you know. So uh, that's something that I can always be getting better at. So I queued up one of your songs that you uh, um, 
indicated as being uh, kind of indicative. Uh, this one, Young with Ancient Stories. So why don't we set it up a little bit and then we can we can listen a little bit to it. So just tell us a little bit about, this is part of the second album, right? Yeah. Yeah, and tell us a little bit about what the um, Young with Ancient Stories. Yeah, um, Dave Van Ronk once said, you don't tell a eulogy before an execution. Oh, yeah. So should I play it first? Yeah, I'll say something right. after maybe. All right, cool, cool. That's good, that's good. Love is mine and I'm young with ancient stories here before it's born. And when you're here, I see a sun and an eclipse together. It's told through broken lips I've seen you in the light I've seen my life in you I said you were a lesson But one I thought was new so much yeah yeah very powerful cool thank you i liked it um yes so that song etemenanki is supposed to be sung from the perspective of the mythological creature buff dog 
Oh, wow. This is, I haven't talked about this in a while. <laughs> um, so Buff Dog, I used to have like all the press materials together and all that. Yeah. Buff Dog has existed at every time and as every person and naturally is very tired. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but Buff Dog sings the whole, yeah. So Buff Dog sings the whole album, but as different people on the title track at Temenanki, he's a homeless woman moving or they are a homeless woman losing their mind in Bab in Babylon. Um, on Young with Ancient Stories, they are a lost and lonely kid. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Just like yeah. I, that one's the closest to I, I said in, in the original press release for the album. That one's the closest to my own voice because it's just like a sad kid like in a room <laughs> being sad. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. But so where does that song fit, fit for you now, listening to it now, where you are in your life right now, hearing it? I, I mean, I hear the, what's that poem, The Man Behind the Glass? I, I remember oh, I hearing know. behind, just, you know, you staring at the man behind the glass. Um, I remember ages ago hearing that. Um, and that quote you mentioned about the, the mirror before, too, I was, I was connecting in on. Um when you look and see that, you knowing that, yeah, what, where do you see, because that was written how how long ago? March 2020. Okay, so relatively recently. Yeah. Um, where are you now in relation to that, of, of the person you see in the mirror? Um, yeah, I, I think you were talking about like the last line, like a new glass to look through. Right. It's kind of like a yeah. through the looking glass, yeah. glass reference or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I mean... A lot of times I'll look back at my song, my songs, and I'll be like, "Man, that's like really self-pitying and like <laughs> melodramatic." <laughs> and I feel like it's good for me to be able to kind of express that and like find a balance because it's sure. like that's if that's the way I feel, like that's valid. But it's like you also don't want to like indulge in that too much because then you get this like whiny, you know, like kind of stuff that no one wants to hear. Um, but uh, let's see, like I. More recent, I'm always trying to find that balance. Like more recently, I wrote a song that has like one lyric in it that's like, um, uh, what is it? What is it? Hold on. Um, there's a part of me that will always feel alone. Um, and there's like that, that and like it's just kind of snuck in there, mm -hmm. and like it's like a sad song, but it's not like overtly sad. It's not like shoving it down your throat, like whatever. Like oh, I'm so sad, and like you should have. Like, I, I feel so bad for myself. Like, it's always, like, striking that balance. So I think I actually kind of did that with this song. I think it's all right, right. In, in in conclusion. <laughs> and I think the melody kind of, like, boosts it. Right, I, right. I'm, I'm proud of that melody. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying about the speaker and how taking on personas, layers of personas almost seems like, because you have the kind of your speaker that's closest to you, and then you have the character you're creating, the character takes on other voices. So how do you like, how you're channeling basically is the kind of sense it feels like you're like kind of focusing in on some kind of nodule of energy and then kind of channeling it. Would you say is like as you kind of lift through like it's the sad dog or the buff dog and he's like, he's taking out a persona himself. How do you navigate that as the artist or like, how do you? Yeah. Well, uh, Buff Dog uses they them pronouns. I oh, yeah. I mistakenly referred oh, yeah. referred to them as, true, as he. Yeah. I don't know where yeah. that came from. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, it kind of reminds me of David Bowie. 
yeah. trying to like who I always aspire to be like. I'm not saying my work reminds me of him. It's just like the choice I think maybe came was inspired by him because he wanted to um, put on other personas. He felt more comfortable exploring himself mm. artistically as like a yeah. persona like Ziggy Stardust or Aladdin Sane. Um, and um, I feel like it's like a similar kind of idea. Like it's like somehow you put on like a different costume and all of a sudden it like enables you to just express yourself more freely. Yeah. Um, I also just am like whimsical. <laughs> I like to just kind of do that. I guess it's, yeah. I, I think it's the same idea actually. Like what I just said, I think. Yeah. No, yeah, I understand. Cause even like I, sometimes I write a poem, like I'll be like, you know, in the, one of the second book I wrote, it was like, um, I took on a persona of Sasha Baron Cohen to, and then he had another persona that he was taking on. Right. So yeah. it was just a way, to, uh, for me, it was just a way to kind of justify to the audience where this is coming from. You know, like, where is this voice coming from? And just it was tears. a way to scaffold it. Yeah. Tears of yeah. personas, you know, so I, I appreciated that. Yeah. That was good. Um, yeah. And then also, yeah, talking a little bit about like, um, uh, we talking a little bit, well, also what it brings up to me is the spirituality or the, you know, a question of spirituality. What's your connection to spirituality or what are your feelings about? The transpersonal in general, like about spiritual traditions and how you, how you grew up, or or what your feelings are now about it. Yeah, um, I was raised Catholic, and I've probably been to mass like a thousand times in my life. I was like had to be taken, had to go to church every Sunday up until I was eighteen. My brother was allowed to stop going, but I had to keep going. Hashtag sexism, um, yeah. and um, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad might listen to this, um, <laughs> but. Um, uh it's okay i have too big of a mouth around him anyway um let's see yeah so catholicism i'm not like i've never really been into um uh but i do kind of have identified as spiritual agnostic basically my whole life um or you know when i realized what that meant um and you know i believe like my beliefs are kind of like it's hard to pinpoint really um you know, I guess I I believe that there is something that connects us all. Um, you know, it's it's a thing where I, I tend to be very cynical and almost atheistic most of the time. And then when something really beautiful and magically coincidental happens, I'm like, it's God. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, you know, like it's God yeah. acting in our lives. Yeah. Like, I just got this apartment and it was like this amazing yeah like opportunity and, and deal and like I was like there's no way to explain it other than God <laughs> um, but the rest of the time I'm just kind of like like no there is no God like I don't know it's yeah. like it's weird it's it doesn't really make sense or I I feel like um, and I tend to do this a lot which is where I think that like whatever it is that I believe or how I identify must be the same in other people's heads but to me I feel like that's got to be a common way of looking at the world because sometimes I'll talk about that and people will laugh you know and I'm like I feel like that's like a common thing. Like a lot of people want to believe in something um, and normally they don't. But then when something really unexplainable happens, they're just kind of like, oh, my God, Must like be, yeah. it has to be God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. I think that even, even strong believers will be like they won't necessarily say everything is God, but they'll they kind of connect most powerfully in the powerful moment of they'll right. connect, they'll connect most. They'll, it'll come to the conscious mind that. You know, this is this is specifically is an inspired moment, or this specifically is, you know. So we definitely have. I think we, as generally as a, as a race, or as a human race, 
we definitely tend to have the way of humanity tends to have a way of connecting with divinity only when it's convenient, mm. you know, when yes, it's like, exactly. it serves their purpose. Which I recognize you know? is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like my own view, it doesn't, it's yeah. contradictory. It doesn't like yeah. totally, it's, you know. Um, actually, it kind of reminds me um, of like part of the, uh, the the pantheon of my own gods include buff dog and also yeah. the flower fish is the brahman or brahma this is uh, my yeah. tattoo is the flower fish oh, nice. and um i just came up with this drawing on like a, a greater drawing it was just a piece of a greater drawing and i was like flower fish flower fish is god <laughs> flower fish is love and happiness and purity and peace or not purity or happiness but love and peace um <laughs> and um and i was like that's like the brahman and then like um and then um because yeah and then um and then buff dog is their best friend and they created the universe together and i had this whole like thing in my head and um this was when i like first got sober and i was kind of like walking on clouds for like six to six months to a year and i was like flowerfish flowerfish hypomania (laughs) (laughs) Uh, can you talk a little i guess about some of the other mental health practices that you have that have that have been helpful to you uh lately and things that uh, in addition to the music stuff that that that's that's been working and yeah um i should say i'm in like a 12-step program so that's like a big deal Mm -hmm. on my spirituality big influence on my spirituality um you know i don't drink and which basically gives away the twelve step program I'm in, um, yeah. and um, and uh, yeah, you know, I that's a huge part of it is not drinking, and then I also like take medication for my mental illness, and like I'm mentally ill, and um, that to me is huge. It's like I don't I don't even notice so much that I have anything because it works and not drinking works it's like for me i'm like wait do i like am i do i actually have anything like you know it's been a long time since i've really suffered from like symptoms of it or whatever Mm. um and um you know i'll i haven't journaled in a long time but i will meditate sometimes when my anxiety is really cropping up that's the only symptoms i really experience it's just like intense anxiety a lot of times um and um yeah like i'll meditate um and then like you know serious self introspection serious introspection um and trying to like dig out like be honest with yourself about with um when you're angry like what's the source of that anger i have a lot of anger issues and it's like usually because i'm proud and i like don't like being told what to do or I don't like when somebody's disagreed with me or is like criticizing me or has different differing opinions than me, like about what I'm doing or, you know, whatever, stuff like that, I guess. Right. And that doesn't seem to come out in the music though much. The, the anger, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. I have one of, one of my newer songs is pretty angry, actually. Yeah. yeah but only one though. There's some ways in which, you know, the structure of society, like there's that kind of anger where you're like, you know, angry at like people, the way people are think or the way the modalities of the society. Does that ever come up for you? Like you feel like, oh, this is like a righteous anger or something like that? Um, Yeah, a, a bit. Usually it, it ties more into my personal relationships, though, mostly like mm. it'll be like a belief that's like endemic to like a person or a group of people that I know. Yeah. And that's where I'm directing my anger. Like I have a hard time directing my anger as like as like larger groups, like yeah. on the whole. Um it's more like individuals. Um 
and there's like a lot of stuff about like gay and trans rights where it's mm. like it's infuriating you know like homophobic transphobic people and like when you hear those views expressed or try to be people try to justify hateful views and that sort of thing and it's like mm. that's that's uh, you know something that's beyond interpersonal anger it can be you know but it i don't know it is and it, it i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> no yeah but sometimes like people express views that are seem like so normalized it's like it's hard to like distinguish whether it's them or whether it's just the the systems that that are in our society you know it's hard to like say like for example like even with gender identification it's be, it's been slow moving you know i feel like although you know on some levels it's, it's, it was it felt like overnight we started doing pronoun identification but then and on some level it's also been slow moving for people to catch up to that um so at some level it seems like the society is kind of at odds with itself you know i don't know yeah um i guess it does feel kind of new i i don't know i mean i started educating myself on trans rights when i was like or just the whole transgender ideas um when i was in high school and that was in 20 uh 2015 to 2019 no 2005 (laughs) 2005 to 2009 um (laughs) that's a big big gap um (laughs) and uh you know, I, at the time, I mean, I grew up in like a really um, homogenous town. You know, there were, there was one black kid in my high school um, and it was all white people mostly. And there were no, there was like maybe one or two closeted, or at least, yeah, like that was gay people. Like there weren't, like n- nobody was like out. I'm sure there were more gay people, but nobody was out. Um, so I grew up in like around a lot of bigotry and I absorbed a lot of it myself, but I knew that it wasn't, I knew there was something wrong with it and I wanted to change the way I saw the world. So I constantly tried to like reach out, like try to educate myself on like different groups of people. And that's when trans stuff felt new to me, but I know what you mean. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like how far back it actually does go and that Mm. it's just kind of like feels newer but it's not necessarily a new thing you know oh yeah no totally definitely i think the the phenomena of like gender identification or kind of like cross identification or like rejecting the idea that there's one or two gender binary goes back very far but the, the idea that in normal society we're like um putting in emails you know and people putting, care about it people yeah like people putting their pronouns in emails or or identifying their emails or the pronouns in in uh when you meet someone it's right. something somewhat rather new. I don't think people would say, oh, you know, 100 years ago, they would say, oh, I identify as. Right. Or, yeah. No, yeah, I know what you mean. Identity yeah. politics or something like that. Or that's something definitely new. And, and bringing to awareness, uh, bring to the front of the awareness of people who don't um, cross identify or identify differently, you know, bring to their awareness. So then they're, they're educated. And, they, and also, I think in some level, kind of frees people up so that they don't have to feel like, I think a lot of toxicity comes from. You know, like uh, feeling the need to like perform your identity in front of others, mm-hmm. you know, and all this kind of thing, or, or like conform your identity to others, yeah, your, your gender identity, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've dealt with a lot of sexism growing up, being treated as a woman, so mm. I I feel that, um, mm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, would you like to listen to one? Why don't we listen to one more? 
I want your songs. We have, um, let me just look at your list. Which, anything coming out for you that you want to play that you want to discuss or, or feels like indicative of what we're discussing or something like that? Uh, I don't have any songs about trans rights. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, something that's coming up here, yeah. Maybe I should. Well, what, uh, well, well, Haircuts for Barbers, what, what did that, did that come out of that open mic that was in the salon, the title for that, or was just, <laughs> No, uh, uh, no, that was well before that, but that's a good guess, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, my first album, I, um... Uh, I wrote while I was going to the Music Inn's open mic, and it was basically all for that audience. And then a Temenaki happened in the pandemic. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. But um, so basically, the first album. What's the song from the first album? I think you want to play something from the first album. Yeah, yeah. Let's see we'll go, we're going backwards. But uh, let's do it. Yeah. Low key, or I mean, why don't yeah? Why don't you just play Haircuts for Barbers? Title track. Yeah, title track. Oh, nice. Actually, a better one would be Posies, but that one's Pose. longer. Just do haircuts. Haircuts is All right, cool. Yeah, I'll put yeah. haircuts for it. Posies is like a whole thing.
Thank you, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Haircuts to barbers. Yeah. <laughs> In dreams. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it plays to me the, the like altruistic, I guess, of, of those that are spending their time, you know, that you're cutting other people's that they're, that you're then doing theirs. <laughs> like I was thinking of like giving a, a hostess a seat or, or serving a, wait, a waitress, That's you know, or something. I like that. Yeah. I like um, that take. Right? But yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember I performed this once at an open mic and, uh, and this dude, as I was leaving, this guy from the audience was like, hey, I'm a barber. <laughs> yeah. He was like so excited. And yeah. the funny thing was he had no hair. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I couldn't give you a haircut uh, anyway, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's it. That's great. I like the, and the uh, you know, when he introduced the idea of dreams, it goes into this discord kind of mm. feeling like kind of like making like a, it almost feel like it replicating like a entering a dreamlike state or something like that, it seemed like. Yeah, it's supposed to be kind of like, and once I say it, it makes it like a little, like maybe a little uh, heavy handed, but it's supposed to be kind of like bipolar. Yeah. Like, right. like a manic state. Yeah. Like angry and angry and entertainment. And I felt Zappa influence on that too, just yeah, like cool. that part. Thanks. Yeah. 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 My drummer was like acid jazz. And I was like, no. <laughs> he was like, let's do acid jazz. We tried that for that section. And I was like, it's not working. Um, okay. So but actually, actually, I will say he came up with that in, like really cool bossa beat that's like underneath it it's like right, really right. interesting also mixed and mastered and uh co-produced by my friend kevin ramsey oh, nice. um although i did most of the production on that particular song great uh i'd like to hear a little bit more about the uh students you're teaching too now i mean talked a little of some of your high school experiences what what age group is this that you're that you're working with and and what that gives to you in in the teaching as opposed to performing too yeah um so I teach kids aged six to 15 oh. and um, the six-year-olds are in a class. So the private lessons are really seven to 15. Um, and, you know, like for me, the greatest part of teaching is being able to offer them emotional support when they need it. Mm. Um, some of the, um, you know, I have a couple of, 13 year old students who 
are going through a lot at school and or you know whether it's stressful for them or or not like they just want to talk they just want somebody to listen and i love to be the one who gets that opportunity to be there for them um i also have a 10 year old student who i mentioned i was going to be on this podcast and and she was like she was like oh i'm gonna go listen to it what's it about and i was like i don't know like spirituality and stuff and she was like never mind i don't know know what that is (laughs) she's like are you gonna talk about me and i'm like well i'm not gonna just be like insert name here like you know like oh yeah my student emma there we go yep (laughs) gotta listen that's great so for some, it's some of their first introduction. Your their first introduction to music too. For at six, yeah, I guess, and I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say the six year olds is not my favorite age group, but uh, <laughs> right. I have a couple of very endearing seven year old students. Um, so this is my listeners to the Truth to Power Show. I'm ready for Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and with us is Scott Raven, our co-host, and uh, Kate Koenig. Uh, sorry, Mister. Koenig? Koenig. Koenig. I got it right the first time. Okay. All right. Okay, Koenig. Um, uh, Radio for Brooklyn uh, is supported by listeners like you. Listeners support radio. So um, if you feel uh, so inclined, uh, you know, we provide a free and open platform to our meeting, literacy, education, and free expression, public art. We did a presentation on, um, you know, a lot of art, art stuff, public art stuff. So definitely check us out. We rely primarily on donations to listeners like you. Every job helps continue in air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We have five hundred one C the nonprofit organization, so our contributions are tax deductible. Support the monthly pledge or one time donation at slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper and like donating in a way that costs you nothing, you can go to uh slash Amazon and register Radio for Brooklyn as your Amazon Smile Charity. Every time you shop, a portion of your purchase benefits Radio for Brooklyn. Um if you're listening to Radio for Brooklyn in your front of your computer, free yourself off by downloading the mobile app for iPhone or Android. Available in the App Store for iPhone and the Google Play Store for Android. Um, you know, if you want to find out more about our events, subscribe to our monthly newsletter, uh, RadioForBooking.org newsletter. Then also there is going to be an event, um, Friday, January 28th at 7.30 in Ridgewood, by the way. Oh. Uh, so Bar Freda, 801 Seneca Avenue. Um, tickets are $10 and available at the door. Um, RadioForBooking is proud to present three amazing bands, now saying local venue for evening of rocking music. Join us on Friday, January 20th, 730 for a night of seventh grade girl fight. Um, dirt bikes and Castle Black at none other than Ridgewood's own Bar Freda at 801 Seneca Avenue. Tickets are $10 can be purchased at the venue. Proof of vaccination is required for entry as per New York law. Um, okay. So why don't we go also go over some of your, uh, promotions? So you mentioned a song in the beginning, uh, uh, concert at the beginning so why don't we go over that again for listeners sure um, yeah so I'm playing Rockwood Stage 2 um, which is at 196 Allen Street um, on the Lower East Side um, on Wednesday February 2nd uh, and I've been saying at 6.30 you know it's 6 o'clock doors 7 o'clock show mm. so and it's like a 45 minute set and it starts promptly at 7 so don't be late if you want to come wonderful Oh, oh. Um, and I know, yeah, we've been talking a lot on on music, but you do have a lot of other uh, art interest interests. Um, some on the uh, painting or drawing design front, and and could you talk some some other how other forms of art intersect with with the music for you, and how they stand separate as well? Yeah, um, I've been asked that before. I don't know how much they do other than that they're just coming from the same source, you know. And I always use 
every form of art that I do to kind of soothe my spirit, um, mm-hmm. my soothe my anxiety and that sort of thing. Um, uh, yeah, I've been drawing longer than I've been a musician. You know, that was the first thing I probably did as a kid. Um, although I do think I was probably singing as soon as I could. I was probably singing and drawing as soon as I could. Um, but, um, yeah, I love drawing. I'm kind of like a cartoonist. Like I basically can just draw in like that one style, but I've worked on it and I have created a couple of like very detailed drawings, um, that are on my website, katekonig.com. And then I also have katekonigmusic.com and follow me on Instagram at katekonigmusic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking of the, like some of the, the art, do you think it's a reflection of the mind or, or, or the heart? when the 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 stuff that you're creating like me specifically or yeah you you specifically i guess um hmm well it's kind of both you know Mm -hmm. and of course i like the idea that you have a mind in your heart and Mm. i also like the idea that your mind is part of your body and mental health is physical health um you know that sort of thing yeah, it's hard. To, sometimes hard to separate the two, like the logical center and the emotional center. You know, they're very much entwined because we have to kind of support each other. And you know, you know what's like neglected a lot—the idea that um, there is a logic to emotions. Yeah, um, it's maybe a different kind of logic, um, and it doesn't seem like it makes sense. But when you consider like human psychology and like the way we relate to one another, there is like a logic to the way we react to things and like you know we're all able to make sense of what we feel in our own heads and i think that that's valid um and then you know there's something to be said for like emotional intelligence and just being like hypersensitive and perceptive to like how other people are feeling and Mm -hmm. knowing how to respond to it in an appropriate way and like that's not something that's like a very undervalued skill in society yeah definitely definitely kind of related to what you said but i don't know so now we're starting to close up. We have a few more minutes left, but uh, I just remind listeners that the Truth to Power show airs every Sunday at 11 a.m. Uh, we have our back episodes at richbooking.org slash truth to power. So you can go over the 200 plus episodes. It's like 202, I think we're at now. So 200, and plus there's a few extra episodes that I tagged on there uh, when I crossed over to like what is love show or something like that. Or uh, some of the shows are I was guest as. So I put that on the, on the website. Um, under the catalog. So any closing thoughts? Any guys have any uh, closing thoughts to leave listeners with? Uh, and uh, then we'll start to end the show. Come to my show. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Come listen. Listening is definitely the, the number one way to appreciate, uh, you know, talking is one thing, but listening and, and appreciating that. Yeah, And totally. getting into your heart, getting those seeds planted in your heart so that then you can, you can get something from it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, no, yeah. Thank, it was great listening to your songs and yeah. uh, and having you here in the studio. Thank you. Um, I, I'd love to hear just tossing the ideas that are germinating right now of that, what topics of interest are like kind of holding uh, in the forefront right now that you're musing about if, if you care to share or do you want to keep those in seedling stage right now? <laughs> but are there things like topically now that's kind of floating around for you? Um. Yeah, I've been really struggling, honestly, to find inspiration for the past, like, after I finished Atemenanki, after I wrote it, like, even, like, after I started recording and producing it, I sort of have had struggled to find inspiration again since then. So it's been 
almost two years now and I've written like maybe like 10 songs and I only like like two of them or three, which is like really sparse and really, really low numbers for me. So um, I'm trying to put together a third collection of songs, but it's a mixture of like mostly old songs. One song that I wrote six years ago and finished, added a last third minute to this week and I'm calling it done and then like three new songs and it's going to be a really weird eclectic collection of songs and uh yeah I don't know I can't really say right now as to what you asked but that's my answer it'll pop in all right all good so I hope people will follow you so they'll find out in future where you're going and follow me people will definitely follow you and definitely find out so it's something we discovered so we'll discover it as as we go along thanks so much guys all right take care bye bye (laughs) bye bye new sign